How do you define success? Again, I ask, how do you define success? Please take a minute to think about this question. What exactly is success to you? Dictionary.com defines success as the favorable or prosperous termination or attempts or endeavors. The accomplishment of one's goals. The attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. A performance of achievement that is marked by the attainment of honors. Sounds a bit superficial, doesn't it? In society, money and status seem to be the standout markers of success. What we all, in varying degrees, chase after. Which, more often than not, is linked directly to employment or career choices and aspirations. I recently listened to an interview with the actor Ed Norton. While not known for being a man of faith, I could not help but appreciate his personal insight regarding success and how superficial, specifically here in the U.S., notions of success can be. The huge Hollywood star, the best way to describe him, said, of American society, we are a scorecard-based culture. It's a little bit toxic. If you run your life in a scorecard of money or regard of others, you are putting yourself in a gnarly cage. Note the word gnarly means twisted, distasteful, distressing, offensive, or even gross. Wow. This coming from a Hollywood guy who has, by the world's standards, got it all when it comes to success. The only thing I would disagree with in his words is calling it a little bit toxic. Embracing and chasing after success by the world's standards is not only a little bit toxic, but rather it can be absolutely soul-draining. In contemplating the truth of Ed Norton's words, I could not help but think of the world's most successful man to ever live, King Solomon, who at the end of Ecclesiastes, which reads like a book of repentance, the wisest and most successful man of all time comes to terms with the emptiness of success as defined by our world, stating in Ecclesiastes 12, 6 through 8, remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel in the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. We're all going to die. Here is a warning to remember God before we do. Because without him, everything is vanity. My Bible dictionary defines vanity as emptiness, eva essence, worthlessness, such as the fruitlessness of human endeavors and the worthlessness of idolatry. Listen to King Solomon's final words in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether good or evil. God wants us to be successful, but not on our terms, but rather his. Not as defined by the world, but as defined by him. 
the one who Jeremiah 10, 12 reminds us, not only made the earth with his power, but who has established the world by his wisdom. This means submitting to his definition of success, his direction for living, not as citizens of this world, but rather humble citizens of his eternal kingdom. By embracing the direction he breathed out to us to live by in these living and active words. Last week, Chris, in the final verse he preached on, left us with words that crystallize for us God's given formula for success as defined by him. True success that we are to submit to. It's a success that can only be had by prayerfully embracing it for what it is, the word of God. God's direction for those who know him and call him Lord and claim to follow him. Would you please repeat after me? 1 Peter 2.17. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So how do we successfully do this? How do we honor all people? How do we love the brotherhood? How do we fear God? How do we honor the king? Well, God's word tells us how. Would you please stand up with me right now and open your Bibles to this morning's passage. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. And please follow along as I read the word of God. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Please bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, shepherd and guardian of our souls, we praise you as our model to live by and acknowledge you as the Lord we are to follow, as the voice who through your spirit not only calls to us, but enables us to hear, receive, and respond to your gift of grace, amazing grace. You, with your words, Lord, make it clear that all we are to do is repent and turn from our sins and in doing so turn to you and believe in the gospel 
That is your sacrifice on the cross, followed by your resurrection, the conquering of death, not only proving that you are indeed both fully man and fully God, but also by conquering death, you freed your children from the sin slavery of this world and its eternal penalty. And while you are currently at, the, currently at the right hand of your father, you've not left us alone. You from your heavenly throne continually to make intercession for us, blessing all who believe with your spirit so that we may follow you and testify to the world for your glory by the power of your spirit placed in our hearts upon belief, never to be taken away, but anointed for eternity. And with your living and active words placed in our hands, you give us the ability to live truly successful lives, not as defined by the world, but modeled for us by you. And all you ask is that we follow you. Please give us understanding, ability, and the true desire to do so. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Submitting to God is submitting to success as defined by God. True success that more often in life than not will guide us safely and protect us. However, even when things do not go well when submitting to others placed above us, Psalm 118.6 reminds us that our hope is in eternity, which man has zero power over. And therefore, we can have confidence knowing that all things work together for his great purpose. Just as Romans 8.28 says, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, his purpose, it's not about us. For when we are successful as defined by God, he is glorified by our testimony. In today's passage, we'll see that submitting to those we serve finds favor with God. And that this success is only capable by submitting to and following the example of Christ. Because Christ, the Lord we are to be like, is also the shepherd and guardian who finds and secures our lost souls. Please read again with me 1 Peter verses 2, or 2, 18 through 20. 18 through 20. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Servants, be submissive to your masters. More often than not today, at least in the United States and for our purposes, Submitting to a master would most often apply in the workplace. After all, traditionally, when most people grow up, they spend a good deal of time working. But this also applies anywhere in life the Lord has placed you according to his sovereign, perfect, purposeful planning in a situation of service where you are accountable to a superior. This could be, and not limited to, work, school, church, family structure, any place where you clearly have a superior 
who God has placed before you to give you direction for his honor. We are to submit to our masters with full respect, regardless of treatment, because submission, even in the challenging situations, finds favor with God, which must be our definition of success, favor with God. Obviously, we are not to do anything that would be contrary to God or would compromise our standing before him. And for this, he gives us clarity. We are not to question what we think to be unreasonable. Maybe because for some reason you believe you know better than the person directing you. You want to do it differently. Or maybe you don't want to do it at all, etc., etc. We all know the excuses we've used to question, disrespect, or ignore authority. Unreasonable means unreasonable. It's not a moral issue, just something you do not prefer or maybe believe to be unfair or even taxing. The person above you may even be relishing the fact and taking advantage of their authority. Regardless, God wants us to submit as our testimony of faith in him. And when we successfully honor people he's placed above us, more often than not, we're granted success because of common grace. This formula often works for those who submit to it. Just as Proverbs 16, 7 reminds us, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. And when we do submit, and it does not work out by our understanding, but we maintain respect for the authority God has placed over us for his purpose, this glorifies him even more. It shows everyone present where our faith lies. Now I would like to share with you my favorite example of a servant submitting to success by honoring his master with what seems to be an unreasonable request by man's logic, but is also a wonderful testimony of faith in God. Please turn to Genesis 24. I love narratives, true stories from scripture that illuminate with things that God wants us to learn from and understand about him. Listen to this story of Abraham and what his unnamed servants, about his unnamed servants dedication to honoring God by honoring his master's interest, his request to find his son Isaac a wife. Listen to what God's word says here, starting in verse 1, chapter 24 of Genesis. Just listen to this story. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear to the Lord the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from which you came? Then Abraham said, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, 
who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me saying, your descendants, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you and will, you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free of this, my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore by him concerning this master. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of the master and set out with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels lie down outside the city by the well at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing at the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl whom I say, please let your jar down that I may drink and who answers, drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one who you have appointed your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled the jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar and he drank. Now, when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will now draw for your camels until they have finished drinking. Moving down to verse 34, where the servant, whose name we do not even know, shares his testimony of success finding Rebecca with the men of her family as a result of prayerfully honoring her master's request. Listen to these words. I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house, to my relatives, and take a wife for my son. He said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. He said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked, his angel will be with you on your journey to make it successful and you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house. Then you will be free of my oath when you come to my relatives. And if they do not give her to you, you will be free of my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful. Behold, I was standing at the spring. It may be that the maiden who comes to draw to whom I will say, please let me drink the water from your jar. And she will say, you drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. 
Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered the jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels. So I drank and she watered the camels. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put a ring in her nose and bracelets on her wrist. And I bowed and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord of God, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take a daughter for my master's kinsman from his son. Think about the details of this story. This true account of a master asking his servant, his name not even shared with us, to travel to another land, a trip estimated to be between six and 700 miles, to find his son a wife and bring her back, telling him that an angel would make it happen and that his wife must meet the exact expectations of Abraham, what the master was asking for. Specifications, it's important to note, reflecting Abraham's commitment to honoring God with his faith. But even Abraham knows on its face what he's asking his servant to do sounds unreasonable. More accurately, sounds like a fool's errand. Trip to crazy town. In fact, Abraham even told his servant, if it doesn't work out, you'll be free of my oath. But... The servant, one of my favorite heroes in the Bible, again, whose name we are not even given. How does he respond to this weird request from his master? He prays. And specifically, what does he pray for? Success. Not success for himself, but rather success for the, to honor his master, and in doing so, most importantly, honor his God. The one master we should be focused on for everything in life. How often do you pray for success that so clearly honors God like this unnamed servant? He prayed for and was given success. Success that would then be used to honor God with a testimony to be shared with others and not just Rebecca's family, but to be shared globally and eternally through the pages of God's breathed out words. And think about how the unnamed servant responded to the success the Lord granted him. Verse 48 tells us, And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who guided me in the right way. What a model this unnamed man is for us. And wow, talk about humble. I'm going to assume he would not even want his name to be known out of reverence for both his God and his master. What an example of a servant submitting to his master, even when things seemed very unreasonable. He asked the Lord to grant him success by submitting to God's definition of success, honoring his master. And then once he had been granted success, he bowed low and thanked the Lord. I'm so thankful for the story of the unnamed servant. Not only do I know that I can ask the Lord each and every day to give me success. But I also know the true definition of success, which can only be had by submitting to his will, his definition of success and not our own. That is seeking favor with him, being top of mind with all we think, say, and do. 
And today, we know that favor with him is most ultimately revealed to us by the servant he would describe for us in Isaiah and deliver to us as revealed in Matthew to show us the way. A servant who would also prove to be God in the flesh. God himself came down and modeled for us ultimate submission to his will, offering himself as our greatest example for this life in preparation for the next who not only know his name above all names to be celebrated, but Acts 4.12 tells us that we must be saved only by his name. That is Jesus, the Christ, whom we are not to believe in, which all the demons do, not just believe in, but to be like. Returning to 1 Peter chapter 2, please read along with me. Back in our scripture. I had my placer in it, but knocked it out when I was reading that narrative. All right, continuing, please read along with me. First Peter 2, 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously." The humble submission of Christ is our example for every challenge in life. Or as our brother Chip Kettering often says, every opportunity in life that we are given to lean on God and trust his purposes and planning while enduring any and all challenges. And none of us will suffer as Christ did. And even though innocent and wronged, he trusted his father that the righteous judge would do just as 1 Peter 1.21 noted that he would do and did. Raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory that through him, because of him, our hope would be in the one true God. That only through Jesus would we believe. Believers that are chosen, foreknown, appointed, called to be his, chosen, foreknown, appointed, called. These are tough words to wrap our mind around. The sovereignty of God. The notion that the truth that God is totally in control of everything. Thankfully, these words from our study in 1 Peter are not mine. That's God's business. There's a reason we call him sovereign. He's in charge and knows everything. I'm so thankful that he has given me the faith by grace to believe his words mean what they say and say what they mean. And something else his words do for us is give us a clear indicator of whether or not we are successfully walking with him. Look at the end of verse 21. We are to follow his steps. 
Are you chosen? Are you foreknown? Are you appointed? Have you been called for his purpose? Well, if you don't just believe in him, but actually believe him, that is, follow him, you should be very secure. Because that means you are no longer lost. Just as Luke 19.10 proclaims, you are among those he came to seek and save. Which means you have a shepherd and a guardian who will successfully guide you from this life to the next. If you truly have heard the calling of Christ, you respond. If not, not. And these are not my words, but his. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10, 26 through 30. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. If you are struggling with this, good news, fantastic news. That means you take it seriously. Just this morning, I was talking about it with my wife and she reminded me that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to study and question, but also my wife was quick to point out, but also we know that if we repent and call him Lord and love him with all our heart, we're secure. And if this isn't you, take it to God. Take it to God. As someone who for years rejected Christ with what I will call easy believism, that is ever since childhood, I would always claim Christ if asked, you know, I wasn't a complete fool, but I did not follow him. That is not until he humbled me, claimed my lost soul. I was 31 at a Bible study, without a Bible I will add. Following a rough night, I decided so I thought to check out a Bible study. The teacher was talking about God's outstretched, orchestrating hand of grace. And the teacher was not using his words, but God's words through a study of Moses. At the Bible study, I was overcome with the reality that I was hearing God's words, not because I chose to, but he wanted me to hear his words. Likewise, I believe if you were here, hearing God's words, it's because he's called you here. And here's a promise. If you're struggling with unbelief or understanding, here's a promise. If you do four things, things will get better. First and foremost, pray. Tell him that you hear his voice and you want to follow his lead. And you can do it right now, quietly in your heart, just as the unnamed servant did all of his prayers as he was trying to honor his master's will. Two, get to know him so you can be like him. And the only way you can get to know him is by studying his words. And three, putting into practice what you learn. And not because it will get you to heaven. Actions do not get us to heaven. But reacting to his words is the only way we can follow his lead. 
to heaven. And if Jesus is your Lord, you will desire to follow him, to be like him. And four, be part of the body of Christ. It's very difficult to love Christ fully and not his bride, the church. Scripture is very clear that we are to lift up, love, and support each other with committed fellowship. From the opening verse today and Chris's last verse last week, we are to love the brotherhood. We are to love the brotherhood. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And the command applies to everyone. If you are not taking advantage of the Christ-mandated fellowship, he intends for each believer, you are not just cheating yourself, but you are not submitting to the true success he offers you being a part of his body. Now I have a little note here that says off script. I want to talk about something that wasn't written down here. This week, um, as I often do, I'll try to take advantage of my home away from homes, my church, uh, a quiet, wonderful place to work on my sermon. This week, the church was hopping with activity. People planting flowers, um, getting ready for VBS. It was fellowship, not structured fellowship. And what I mean by that is structure. You know, go to church on Sunday, Bible study on Wednesday night. It was not structured. I will say it was just real, raw fellowship. Fellow believers on this campus, you know, hi, how you doing? Genuine smiles, chit-chat over coffee. Every time I bumped into someone, I felt better than I did before I saw them. And I was reminded of the reality of when we leave the world and enter a situation like being on campus at church with fellow believers, whether you're doing something or not, you've, you've entered the kingdom. And it is such a wonderful place to be, exiting the world and entering the kingdom. That's what we get to do with our fellowship. And sometimes the best fellowship at all is just bumping into somebody and chatting knowing that he or she is a fellow believer. You're in a safe space. You know, you're at church. It's just something to be taken advantage of. And I'm so thankful for this past week because I was given new truths about fellowship I never even thought about. It's such a wonderful privilege to be connected to a body. And if you are not taking advantage of it, one, you're not listening, and two, you're cheating yourself. So take advantage of the body. I'm so thankful the Lord did not leave me lost in my shallow form of belief, but he did just as Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He did indeed seek and save me, and furthermore, because of this, I know he's also my eternal shepherd and guardian. Take a look at verses 24 and 25. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus gave his body for our sins so that we could live to the same righteousness as him. 
This means we have been declared righteous in the eyes of his father, the righteous judge. And while we will continue to sin in our earthly bodies, it will not be what defines us. Just as his words say in Peter, we might die to sin and live to righteousness, which Romans 6, 12 through 14 makes clear is part of the grace of salvation. That is the ability to live accordingly by rejecting sin that was once our master. Listen and be encouraged by these words. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under the law. But grace. Not only did the work Christ did on the cross save us from the penalty of hell. But he performs a transformative work within believers that frees us from the slavery sin in our mortal lives. Because he becomes our ultimate master. And empowers us to live like him. And not by the power of the law, that is rules followed, but because of his sanctifying work within us, the daily spiritual maturing made possible by the gift of his spirit. Which John 14, 26 calls the helper. And Acts 2, 38 makes clear, enters a person upon true belief. Doesn't it make so much sense that the same Lord who cares enough to seek us, save us, find us, would also, once he has found us, be our shepherd and guardian forever. That's amazing to think about. And can you think of a better definition of success than living a humble life that reflects all of this? Favor with God, being Christ-like, because your shepherd and guardian will always lead the way. With that, I ask you a few questions. Are you being shepherded and guarded by Christ? If your answer is yes, what would others say about you? Specifically, would people in position of authority above you, what would they say? Would they say that you are submissive to authority placed above you by God? Or rebellious? What about your life testifies to others that you strive to be like Christ? And that what motivates you throughout the day is favor with God? And what about yourself? This is most important. What about yourself testifies to yourself that Christ is your shepherd and guardian? That he defines your life more than sin defines your life because you submit to the true success he offers to negotiate this life with as you with all confidence, prayer, and hope anticipate eternity with him. And if you are someone who is unsure about all of this, will you take it to God? Will you tell him that you want to follow his lead? Ask him to reveal himself more deeply in his words. Ask him for the ability to live out his words 
to be like him? And will you pray about taking advantage of loving the brotherhood by getting involved with the body of Christ, his church? Please bow your heads. Lord God, creator of the earth and author of wisdom, no one testifies more clearly than King David of the awesomeness of your ways and man's inability to be on the same page as you, sovereign God. As recorded in Psalm 139, David says to you, your knowledge is too wonderful and too lofty for us to attain. And how precious your thoughts are, God, how vast the sum of them, if counted would outnumber the grains of sand. And when we awake, we are still with you. Awake or asleep, David had peace because his faith was in you, Lord, and not because his finite brain could understand the infinity that is you, but because of your promise of a savior to come, who today we know the fulfillment of the promise as you, Lord Jesus. And while many of the details and truths of scripture are difficult, if not impossible to fully grasp, you make it clear that is exactly what we need to do to be saved. We must repent in your name, believe what you did on the cross, and when we truly believe, we can't help but react to your spirit's call, the amazing grace by following you. Thank you for this hope. I pray this is true for everyone in here today and that we as individuals and collectively at our church would daily be given success to think, speak, and act like you, Jesus, as we navigate this life eagerly anticipating eternity as successfully led by you, our great shepherd and God.